And God spoke that from heaven into these men that wrote these books. And so we have these books right here, 66 books, right? Called Holy Bible. Now, we are to take this word and speak it back to the Father and complete the circle. It came from heaven, came to the earth, it was written down. Now it's written down that we can take it and take it right back. Right? And so, for example, in the area of uh, salvation, okay, um, how many of you are convinced it's the will of God that every person be saved? Every person. God hasn't chosen some to be saved and some to not be saved. God hasn't predestined some people. That's a very dangerous doctrine. He hasn't predestined some to go to hell and others to go to heaven. The Bible is very clear that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Right? For God so loved half the world. No. Nope. For God so loved the whole world that He gave His only begotten Son. Right? Whoever believes on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so there's a host of scriptures throughout the Bible that tell us that it's God's will that people be saved. God's not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. Okay? And I've never, and I've had the privilege through the years uh, from time to time to lead people to Christ when God arranged the situation, you know, it was the right situation. And, uh, but I never had to pray and say, Lord, is it your will to save this person? Never, never batted an eye about it. Amen? Never thought twice about it. And they could have been involved. And in, I mean, I remember that there was back in the day, there was a time when I used to go down with a friend of mine that I got saved. We went down to Liberty Avenue back in the 70s when it was really bad. They called it the red light district. Right? And it was really bad. Okay? And, uh, but you know, I just knew that it's God's will to save all those people. But they had to open their hearts to do that. But I never had to pray, Father, is it your will to save this person over here? And we had some of the, the, the you know, I remember on one occasion... We were standing out in front of this, it was kind of like, a, they're, they're not there anymore, it was like a movie theater. And, uh, and there was prostitution taking place there, okay? Now, I didn't know this, but I was with some other people that knew more about it than I did, so, but I knew there was some dark activity going on there, you know? And so there was a male prostitute that came out, there was a male prostitute that came out, and we were standing out there, you know, witnessing the people passing out tracks and stuff, you know. And, uh, and, and evidently, we were ruining his business <laughs> because we were passing out tracks, you know. And, and we had these uh, papers, tracks, right, with the gospel. And I'll never forget, he got so frustrated, this guy. He came over and he grabbed the tracks out of our hands. Okay, and I had a stack of them. And I was new at this, of course. Grabbed them out of my hands, took his lighter out, and lit them on fire. Okay? And I'm just standing there, what do I do now? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, um, and we're just, you know, we're just trying to lead people to the Lord, you know. But I had no idea the problems that we were causing with, with him. You know, interference, right? And so, uh, he decided to carry on a little bit more. You know what I mean? Started getting real vocal and saying things to us, you know. But there was a lady, and I remember her name was Colleen. She was older than I was, but she was really experienced with street ministry, you know. And I was just new at this, you know. And, um, and she knew about the authority of the believer. And I was just learning these things, you know. And this guy was so upset about what we were doing. He began to scream out and yell out and, uh, and, and ridicule us. I'm thinking, why is he doing this? You know what I mean? And... Uh, and she looked at him. Now, this is in the book of Acts. This happened in the book of Acts. She looked at him and she says, I command you to shut up in the name of Jesus. You cannot open your mouth in Jesus' name. And I'm standing there like, you know. And he went like this. He, went, he, went, he couldn't open his He tried to open his mouth to speak, but he couldn't speak. I'm thinking, she must know something that I don't know. Because actually he was interfering with other people hearing the gospel. And he couldn't open his mouth. He couldn't speak. Amen? Amen. And so I'll never forget that. It was branded in my spirit. You know, when you see stuff like that and you experience stuff like that, you never forget that. And that was probably in 1980 when that took place. That was a few years back. All right? And so that was the beginning of my journey with the Lord. I began to walk with the Lord and experience certain things. 
But the thing that has ministered to me through the years more than anything is that when I take God's Word, how many want to answer a prayer? You don't want to waste your time. You want to have answer prayer. Find Scripture that covers your case. If you need physical healing in your body, there are a host of Scriptures. I mean, there's a lot of Scriptures about being in health, walking in divine health, being healed, right? And there's a ton of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation on it's God's will for us to walk in health. Even John the Apostle said in 3 John 2, he says, Beloved, I pray above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your souls prosper. Amen? By His stripes you were healed, you know? And so, the more word that you know about things, you can take that to the Lord in prayer. That has the, gives you the confidence that when He hears you, you have the petitions that you desire of Him. Amen? And so, we have to get to the point, point, and we can get to the point where we know it's just as much God's will to heal the body as it is to heal the soul. Are you with me? Yes. Praise God. So he said, put us in remembrance. Let us plead together. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, let's go to, uh, let's go to the book of Romans chapter 5 right now. We'll get into this next point here. So to have answered prayer, we have to have a foundation. The more word of God that we have inside of us, the more we can have a basis for prayer, successful answered prayer. Amen. Uh, Acts 16.31, for example, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was my loved ones, my family, you have to understand, my sister and I were the first ones to get saved in our house, even before my parents, okay? And we got some serious persecution. My wife did too and her family, some serious persecution because they thought, you know, didn't we raise you the right way, you know, and so forth, and, you know, and... uh, but I got a hold of Acts 16.31 that says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. So that includes your whole house. Amen. Amen. So I stood on that, I stood on that, and it finally came to pass. Didn't look like it at first, but it came to pass. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, Now Paul is the author of Romans, right? He wrote the book of Romans along with other books. He wrote nearly three quarters of the New Testament. And he got his revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a download. He had visitation. He was in heaven, actually. And he received revelation, which he wrote in his epistles. This is one of them here. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Who do you think that is? That's Adam, right? For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that's Adam, much more they which receive abundance, not just grace, but abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now here's interesting. This verse here is talking about two men, Adam and Jesus. Okay? Now both men made choices, made decisions that impacted the whole human race. Adam's choice to disobey God, to sin, contaminated the entire human race. Amen? Now, before we point any fingers, just know this, we would have done the exact same thing had we been in his shoes. Because actually we were inside of him. Okay? Actually we're all descendants from Noah. Amen? Who's your great, 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 great grandfather? Noah. We had to come from Noah, right? Because there was Noah, his wife, his sons and their wives. There's eight of them. The Bible says a few. Eight. Eight. The whole human race came from that. Okay? Did you ever think about that? But even before that, we all came from Adam. So because of Adam's sin, he contaminated the whole human race with a disease called sin, and it spread through every person that's ever walked on this earth. Talk about a pandemic. 
How about an earthdemic? <laughs> I know that's not a word. But spiritually speaking, one man's disobedience, that's what he's talking about here, one man's offense, death reigned. Death came by Adam, right? But then he begins to talk, talk about this other man called Jesus, who actually is called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians. And so Jesus made decisions and choices that not only impacted him, but the whole human race. Okay? Now, of course, all of us came out of Adam. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again in John 3.3. 3. He told Nicodemus, being a religious leader, you have to be born again. He didn't say join a church. He said be born again. Well, how do you get born again? Invite Jesus Christ into your heart, right? Right? It's not joining a church. It's not joining this or that. It's, it's making Jesus the Lord of your life. And then you become a born again child of God. Okay, so that being said, he says, much more they which receive abundance of grace, and notice this, the gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now the Amplified says you'll, you know, that you'll rule as a king in this life. Can you bring that, Josh, up in the Amplified? For because of one man's trespass, lapse, offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely I will, with those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with God Himself, reign as kings in this life through one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Rule and reign in this life. Okay, so the first key to answer prayer is you have the Word of God as a foundation. Number two is understanding righteousness. Righteousness. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, however that happened, um, you didn't just get your sins forgiven. That's part of it. You became a new creature in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. That's in your spirit. Are you with me? So, I wish I would have known this when I first got saved. Okay? Because, you know, you've heard the phrase, Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You ever heard that phrase before? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I've heard a lot of you know musicians and you know even Christian musicians say, "Yeah, I'm just a sinner saved by grace." Well, which one are you? You know, before you knew Jesus, you were a sinner, but now that you got saved, you're no longer a sinner. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. Amen. Now you think that make most people happy, but some people actually get mad at that. I've come across a few of those through the years. Religious people. How dare you call yourself the righteousness of God in Christ? Well, I didn't say it. God's Word said it. God's Word said it. When we start to have a revelation and an understanding that you are righteous before God, what's righteousness mean? It just means rightness, right standing. Right now, how many of you are born again? Lift your hand up. You know Jesus. You have absolute right standing before God as if sin never existed. Amen? Oh, come on, Brother Keith. Well, when we're taught correctly from the Word of God, and I do my best to do that. When you come here, I give it everything I have, 110% every week. Every week. Praise God. Because I know the Word. I can be so confident in the Word of God because it is the truth. And it says right there, we received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And notice this, then we're going to reign in life. So if we want to know how to reign in life by one as kings, we have to know that God has made us right and righteous and we have right standing with God. E.W. Kenyon you know, has a book called Two Kinds of Righteousness. You know, he was born... In the late 1800s, you know, of course, he's with Jesus now. But he, he made a statement that I can't improve upon. He said, righteousness is the ability 
to stand in the presence of God without the sense of guilt, inferiority, as if sin never existed. Wow. You mean me, Pastor? Yep. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God as if sin never existed, without the sense of guilt, inferiority, as if sin never existed. Wow. You mean I don't have to feel guilty? No. You know, if God's not condemning you, why should you condemn you? Amen. Now, I've, I've done some research through the years, you know, of people that had near-death experiences and actually did die. I don't know why they call it near-death. They were dead. <laughs> they left their body. Out-of-body experiences, you know. And, and there's been some people, authentic people, that went, and, they, and they, they were saved, of course, you know. But they really weren't really living for God on the earth. You know what I'm saying? And I'm one, one in particular said that, the, you know, they, were, they got saved, but they weren't really living for God. And when they died of a disease, and then God sent them back, of course, they stood before the throne of God. And it was a woman. She says, I have never felt more love and acceptance ever. She said it was the most amazing thing. It was like liquid love. It just drew me in. And she said, I didn't feel any sense of rejection coming from the Master, from Jesus. Yet He showed me how when I go back, I can change things and do things differently. But she said the thing that marked her more than anything else is to realize she had total acceptance of love, no rejection whatsoever from Jesus himself when she went to heaven, knowing full well that she didn't really live the way she should have on the earth. But when she received and experienced his divine love and compassion for her and total acceptance, when she came back into her body, she wanted to do right. Wow. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like Jesus was standing there scolding her. I told you so, you rat. You look at what you've been doing. That's not how God treats us. Amen? He loves us into change. That's how He changes us. He loves us to the point we want to change because we realize He loves us. But you know, through the years, too many, too many times people have misrepresented, preachers have misrepresented God and condemned people, made them feel guilty and so forth. Instead of like, you know, God loves you unconditionally. Yeah. You say, well, pastor, if you tell people they're loved unconditionally, then that will give them a license to do whatever they want. No, it's just the contrary. Yeah. When I know how much God loves me, it makes me in turn want to love other people. Amen. I'm telling you, when I know how much God loves me, when I know how much He loves me, it's easy for me to love other people that are unlovely. It really is. Amen? But if I don't know how much He loves me, Jesus said, love one another even as I've loved you. Well, we can't love one another until we know how much He really loves us. Amen? Here's another one, Ephesians. Talk about husbands and wives. It says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, notice the phrase, even as. Husbands, love your wives even as. That's the connecting word. Even as Christ loved the church. Well, if, if I as a husband don't know how much God loves me, I cannot translate in into my love for my wife sitting right here. But if I understand correctly how much God loves me, unconditional love towards me, then it's easier for me to love my wife, love my daughter, love my son. Even the dog gets in on it. Amen? Little Fluffy gets in on it. Amen? Even as. Those words are powerful. Love one another even as, even as, even as I've loved you. So we've, we've got the major. And here's the difference between, you know, you think about the Apostle John. We just read from 1 John. We read from Gospel of John, you know. And he uh, referred to himself in the Gospel of John. How many of you know John wrote the Gospel of John? He referred to himself as the Gospel, as the uh, disciple whom Jesus loved. You all remember that? Several times he said, the gospel whom Jesus loved. 
In fact, he even referred to himself as the gospel who outran Peter to the gravesite. <laughs> he said, we both ran, but I beat him. <laughs> little competition there, huh? But John, the apostle John, who outlived all the disciples, died a natural death of old age. Amen. They tried to kill him, boil him in oil, and they couldn't. He was so full of love. But out of the disciples, 12, you have the 12, then you had the three, Peter, James, and John. Okay? The three, Peter, James, and John, were <clears throat> the closest to Jesus. But the very closest disciple to Jesus was the Apostle John. Amen? And he's, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm going to ask you a question. Did Jesus love John more than the others? He didn't. Did Jesus love Peter? I'll go as far as to say this. Did Jesus love Judas? Oh, yes, he did. Knowing full well what was going to take place. At the Last Supper, do you know Jesus washed Judas's feet? Hello? Knowing full well what he was going to do. But the Bible says he loved them all up until the very last, to the end. Praise God. Amen? But John had a revelation. He had a revelation of Jesus' love for him. He focused on that. Amen? We have to focus on that too. Amen? Now, I say this oftentimes. I'll say, no, Father, when I'm praying, I'll say, Lord, I thank you for your love for me. I received that love, you know. But show me things about your love for me that I don't see yet. There's other aspects about your love that I need to open my eyes to see that more and more. I'm thankful for what I do know, but I want to have a greater revelation. Because John even says, perfect love cast out fear. When you know how much you're loved by the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, it will alleviate and eliminate fear from your life. Yes, it will. Are you with me? Okay, let's go to 2 Corinthians real quick here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're talking about understanding the power of righteousness when it comes to getting your prayers answered. The scripture even says in 1 Peter, it says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto our prayers. Amen. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Say, that's me. And his ears are open to my prayers. So you add God's eyes and God's ears, they're upon you. They're upon you today. There's nothing that you do that escapes God's attention. Now we've done things through the years that try to escape the attention of people. When I was, when I was a young kid and I was doing stuff I shouldn't have done. And none of you all have never done that before. I didn't want the, uh, the teacher to see me, right? But there's nothing, and I won't go into detail about that, but you know, <laughs> there's nothing that escapes God's attention. Everything is open unto the eyes of Him. Everything. So He sees you. His eyes are upon you, the righteous. His ears are open to our prayers. But over here in 2 Corinthians... Uh, verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, of course, 17 talks about being a new creature and so forth. We just talked about that. But 21 says, For he, that's God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. He, Jesus, who didn't know any sin, he never sinned, became sin. He took the punishment for our sin, for all of us. Yeah, you have to understand, Jesus didn't just take your sin, he took the whole world's sin on himself. He became God's offering, a sin offering, and he took our sin, past, present, and future. Because when he took your sin, you weren't even born yet. That was future. Are you with me now? 
Now stay with me here. He hath made him to be sin who knew no sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want to ask you a question. Has that happened? Did Jesus become sin? He did, didn't he? What about the second part? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, hallelujah. It's in him. Say, I am righteous in him. Jesus made me righteous. Okay. Now, to the degree and to the extent, listen very carefully, to the degree and to the extent that Jesus took your sin, which he did, is to the same extent and same degree that you became the righteousness of God in Christ. Did Jesus take 75% of your sins? 85, 95, 99.9. Actually, if he left even a small percentage of your sin, you would die and go to hell. Even a fraction. If he left it there, you wouldn't go to heaven. I wouldn't go to heaven. But to the degree and to the extent that Jesus took our sin, he took 100% of your sin and my sin. He became sin. He took it. He took it. Amen? Nailed it to the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Glory to God. The Bible tells us that, right? And it says right here, we have become the very righteousness of God in him. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute here. Sin consciousness versus righteousness consciousness. Okay? Sin consciousness Verse righteousness, consciousness. The Lord wants us to have not a sin consciousness, but a righteous consciousness. In other words, we have right standing with God. Yes. Praise the Lord. Now, it's funny, you know, because uh, I remember back in the day when I first started getting, I heard teaching along these same lines, and I started meditating on this and feeding on this. Well, I was so thankful. It, it seemed like, Foreign territory to me. Because I, I, I always, you know, I was a firstborn, you know, and I always had, I always try, I always felt like I was never doing enough. Even when I first got saved, when I first got saved, I didn't have any teaching, I didn't have any foundation, you know. I just knew I was saved. But I always had a guilty consciousness. I always felt like I was never doing enough for God. I always felt like I wasn't praying enough, I wasn't giving enough, I wasn't doing enough for God. How many of you ever went through that? I was going through that. And I always felt this sense of guilt or shame. And I didn't realize that that was coming from the devil, from demons, making me feel shameful and guilty, like, oh, I'm never doing enough. But here's the thing. No matter how much you do in the natural, isn't going to make you stand any more righteous before God. Because you were not made righteous by what you did anyway. It's a gift. One thing about a gift, you don't work for it. Right? When it's your birthday, for example, someone gives you a gift, you know. You know, you didn't work for that. It's a gift. If you work for it, it ceases to become a gift. Well, righteousness is a gift, Romans 5.17. You know, the gift of righteousness, receiving. You say, by the offense of one man, many were made sinners. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You have to receive abundance of grace. Yeah. You can hear about it, but not receive it. So I say, I receive the gift of righteousness. Amen? And the more we know that we have right standing with God, the more powerful our prayers will become. You don't have to stir yourself up in a frenzy, you know, work up an emotion before God hears you. You know what I'm saying? Boy, I know what that's like. I felt like on a hamster wheel, spiritually. You know what I mean? Just, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'll finally get to this place where I feel like I've reached it, you know? Listen, you're just as righteous now as you will be when you go to heaven. You don't graduate to a higher degree of righteousness when you get to heaven. Fact of the matter is, if you're not righteous now in the earth, you ain't going to heaven. Because there's no unrighteous people in heaven. 
So on this side of heaven, in the earth right now, God has a lot of righteous people that don't know that they're righteous that are living in this earth. That all that's changing. That's changing. This is the confidence that we have in Him. Glory be to God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we know that if He hears us, we have the petitions we desire of Him. Amen? Praise God. Say gift of righteousness. Mm. It's a gift. It's a free gift. So my understanding is, is that if I, if I know this, if I have right standing with God, as far as the east is from the west, He's removed my transgressions. That's what the Bible says. You know, it's interesting about Psalm 103. It says, as far as the east is from the west, He hath removed our transgressions. He didn't say as far as the north is from the south. Now stop and think about it. We live on a globe. We live on a circle. Okay? If you travel north, eventually you're going to travel and go to the south. And when you get to the south pole, you keep going. You're going to eventually go north. Are you with me? But if you go the other direction, if you go from the east to the west, does that ever change? If you're going east and you keep traveling east, guess what? You're still traveling east. He didn't say as far as the north is from the south. He's removed our sins. He said as far as the east is from the west. You all get that? Okay. See, if I start traveling west and I stay on west, I always go west. If I go east and stay on east, I keep going east. But if I go from south to north, amen. And I love how God says that as far as the east is from the west, there's infinity. He's removed our transgressions from us. Amen? And I think the biggest thing that robs believers, because I'm talking to believers, the biggest thing that robs believers is meditating on your past sins, past faults, past failures. Okay? Well, if you've asked the Lord to forgive you, He forgave you as if you never made that mistake. Amen? Right? Now, if my, one of my family members came up to my wife came up to me and said, you know, Keith, I'm really sorry about what happened, you know, and I shouldn't have said what I said, you know, and, and uh, yeah. my mindset is like, it's gone. It's over. I don't remember it. Amen? Are you with me now? When we go before God and say, oh, God, I'm just so sorry about what I did. Oh, oh, oh. He's going to say, what are you talking about? It doesn't exist. Amen? Listen, you're as pure, as holy as they come before Jesus by His blood. Amen. Just like a newborn baby. Amen? Now, I remember when our kids were born, when Josh was born, you know, and uh, 33 years ago, and uh, we went into the... Uh, course in the hospital then had the baby there you know and then they had this little room back in those days that they put the baby in where you could peek through this window and see the kids you ever see that before I don't know if they still do it that way or not but you would see all the newbies all the newborns you know and little tags their names and so forth you know and pink and blue you know and you would see and these these were babies that were just just came into the earth precious you know what I'm saying Nobody in their right mind would look through that glass in the hospital and say, what an awful past they have. Are you with me? You think they're crazy if someone said that because they don't have a past. They were just born. That's how God sees us. You're, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Old things are passed away. And behold, everything has become brand new. Say, I'm a new creature. Now, if God calls me righteous, then I can say it. If God calls me a new creation, I'm going to say that about me. Now, to someone else that doesn't understand that, they'll think you're in pride. What do you, who do you think you are? Well, I'm just saying what God said about me. Are you with me now? Okay. So God, listen very carefully. God doesn't want you to have a sense of guilt inferiority or condemnation 
about who you are before God. You are pure, holy, and spotless through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you stand before God as if sin never existed. Hallelujah. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your transgressions. Amen. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, one verse, verse 34. We'll wrap this up this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. Are you learning something this morning? Okay. There's just this scripture and one other one I want to look at, and we'll close here this morning. But this is, the, the subject of righteousness is so important to the believer. So important. Okay. Now, Paul was writing to the church at where? Corinth, right? Anybody know anything about the P of the Christians at Corinth? You know how many problems they had? They were saved, but you know how many problems they had? Licentious and uh, carnal. Paul called them carnal, you know. They had strife in their midst. They had all kind of problems, physical problems, emotional problems, every kind of problem you can think of. Paul told them right here, verse 34, wake up to righteousness and sin not. Now you would think he would say just the other way around. He would say like this, don't you dare sin out there and then you'll wake up. No, he says, awake. These are people that are messing up, screwing up, but they're saved. They're just baby Christians. They're still carnal body ruled. And he says, awake to righteousness and sin not. He could have said it the other way around. Which means the power of righteousness will eliminate and alleviate the desire to even want to sin. Because your flesh still wants to sin. Your flesh, even after you're saved, your body still wants to do wrong. How many of your body still wants to do wrong even after you're saved? Someone cuts you off on the road. You want to get mad at them, right? Someone talks ugly about you. You want to get ugly back at them. Someone treats you wrong. You want to do them wrong. That's your flesh. And all of us have that. Okay? But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I keep my body under. I bring it, my body, under subjection. Lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself shall be a castaway or disapproved. So the great apostle Paul said that there were things that his body wanted to do that his spirit regretted. But he says, I keep my body under. Amen? Who's the I? The real him, the spirit. He says, I, my spirit, the real me, I keep my body under. I bring it as a slave. Amen? And Paul, he said in some of his other letters, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Or did I get that wrong? In other words, I can do anything I want to do, but it's not going to be profitable. Okay? All of us right here, if we left this place right now, we decided, I'm going to go out and sin right now. (laughs) I'm going to break some of those ten right now. You know what I'm saying? Well, there's a restraint on the inside of you. What is that? Your spirit. This says, uh, no, I'm a believer. I don't do that. I'm not going to cuss that person out. I used to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Are you with me? Right? So there's a, restra- there's a restraining order in your spirit that says, did we step on some toes here? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in other words, your body has a voice, right? Your flesh has a voice, right? But, there, you know, the, your spirit is the real you, the part that's born again, you know, and it says, uh, you know, and you can tell a lot of times, like, especially when it comes to driving. You know, I drive several hours during the day with my day job, you know what I mean, for like seven, about seven hours a day. And it's downtown Pittsburgh. It's up in Oakland, the shady side. And you come across... A lot of things. Last week, I remember I was up in front, I was right in front of 
University of Pittsburgh, and I was on Forbes Avenue, okay? This just came to my mind. And, uh, you know, I've got some, some special needs students in the back of my bus, right? And I'm, I'm in this minivan, right? And, and, a, and there was a couple of lanes, and a guy pulls up next to me, and he had his, his radio. I mean, it was blasting to the fullest degree. You know what I'm saying? Boom, boom, and it was rap music, okay? And all I could hear was the F-bomb and, like, you know, JC and just every, everything seemed like a curse word. It was just, you know, and I'm thinking, okay. Well, the guy pulls up next. We're at a red light. We're even, okay, right next to each other. And I just happened to look down just to see who it was. And uh, it was an out-of-state plate, actually. And, uh, and he, he rolls the passenger window down. He's the only one in the car. So he reaches over and rolls the window down. And he looks at me and he goes, and he had this angry look at his face. Like, like come on, dude. Like, he's going to take me on. I'm like, I looked at him like. I said, what did I do? I didn't do anything. But I felt my flesh rising up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm thinking, dude, you trying to mess with me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but, I, but immediately, I mean, I could feel the pressure and the tension in my flesh. Like, this guy's trying to, he's trying to, like, start something here. You know what I'm saying? But my spirit's like, no, just ignore him. Just, just, just plead the blood of Jesus over him right now. And I did that. And he went on. You know, probably tried it to somebody else. You know what I mean? But I thought it was just the devil through him. He's probably possessed with the devil trying to start something, right? But I, I had a choice. Am I going to yield to that or resist that? There's been many other situations through the years where things, when it came to driving, where things like that took place, okay? And, uh, and I know um, I've shared some about that in the past, but, you know, your, your flesh has a voice, your, f- your flesh has a voice, doesn't it? But your spirit has a voice too. Now that's the part that's been reborn. That's the part that's been recreated is your spirit. Now, Peter, jo- J- Jesus told Peter, because when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, and they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled out his sword. He had a sword in the prayer, room, prayer garden. And he went to cut off the guy's head. His name was Malchus. And I guess he ducked and he cut off his right ear in the Gospel of John. He was going for the guy's head. He was trying to protect Jesus. And he cut the guy's, the high priest's servant's right ear off. Now he can only hear half as much. That's terrible, isn't it? Pastor Keith's sense of humor needs prayer, serious prayer. <laughs> well, this really happened, you know. And Jesus told Peter, he says, put your sword away. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And Jesus covered Peter's butt. Pardon the expression. Because Jesus reached over, put his hand on Malchus, who was the enemy of Jesus, and healed him. We talk about putting out a fire. They were going to take Peter. You know, they would have had his head in few, just a few minutes from that or crucified him, right? But Jesus covered Peter. Think about that. But he healed his enemy. Why is it that people, even Christians, have a hard time God will, that God will heal you when he healed God's enemy, Malchus, and he restored? It was a recreative miracle and his ear was restored like the other. Malchus was not a Christian. He wasn't a servant of God. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't following after Jesus. He was coming to arrest him and have him crucified. Stop and think about that. And that's why Jesus told the disciples, couldn't you watch and pray with me at least one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane? And every time he'd come back, they were, you know, counting sheep. Right? They were sleeping. But he said, Jesus made this statement. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. So we're talking about prayer. And the closer you are to the Lord and you walk with him, when temptation comes knocking on the door, you'll have the power within you to say, I'm not going there. 
Because if I yield to this, then something else could happen. You know how many people are regretting decisions that they made when they were angry? When they were hot-headed, made choice? Oh, they wish they could go back and change that. Amen? Well, moving, we can't change the past, but we can certainly help change the future. We can. We can change what we do by yielding to God in prayer. And yielding to Him will help us keep the flesh under, keep the body. Like Paul said, I keep the body under. Amen? And here's where we'll close right here. Isaiah 32. Keys to effective prayer. Number one, praying the Word of God, praying the Scriptures. You know. Secondly is a revelation of righteousness. And Paul said, awake to righteousness. Oh my, wake up. Praise God. Wake up. Wake up to the fact that you have right standing with God. Right now, you have just as much right standing. I'm going to say this again. Thank you, Lord. You have just as much right standing before God as you would as if you were going to go to heaven. You don't become more righteous when you get to heaven. You're righteous right now. Okay? Yes, but Brother Keith, what about holiness? Okay? Well, holiness is a byproduct of understanding righteousness. When you know that you have right standing before God, you don't want to sin. There's a power within you to restrain back from doing wrong. Because it gives you a confidence. Now here's what we'll... This is the icing on the cake right here. Okay? This is the top right here. Isaiah 32, verse 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. You see that up? Did you bring that up there? On the screen there? That's Isaiah 32, verse 17. Look at this again. The work of righteousness shall be what? Shalom. Wholeness. And the effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance forever. Now look at the next verse. It says, And my people shall dwell in peaceable habitations, and sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. That's not talking about a graveyard. Quiet resting places. Peaceful. Graveyard. That's not what he's talking about there. I never said that until right now. But my people will dwell, this is where you live, in a peaceable habitation. You can stand on that. But notice it's all connected to the work of righteousness. The very first thing that's going to happen when you understand righteousness is you have peace. Ooh, bless the Lord. Thank God for peace. Peace. Oh, it's all going to be okay. I have peace. <laughs> Amen. The work of righteousness is peace. And the effect of righteousness is quiet, quietness and assurance forever. And then you're going to dwell in a peaceable habitation, sure dwelling places and quiet resting places. Sounds to me like a lot of peace. You know, Romans uh, chapter 5, I'll just refer to it. Verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified, made righteous, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. You're justified by faith. It's all by faith. You're born again by faith. You're made righteous by faith. It's not anything you did. It's not anything you did. It's receiving it. Receiving it. See, religion says you have to work your way into these things, you know. But God says, receive the gift of righteousness. Amen? <laughs> Under the Old Testament, the law demands. Amen? Or grace provides. Grace of God. Righteousness is a grace gift. Are you with me? Man, I'm preaching myself happy this morning. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Say this after me. Say it out loud. I am the very righteousness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can do to make myself 
more righteous before God. I receive the gift. The true gift of righteousness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I thank you so much for this gift of righteousness that you've given to us. Even before we came into this earth, you, ahead of time, you prearranged for us to receive the gift of righteousness. Before we were ever a speck on this earth, you did that for us, Father. And now we're tapping into the very gift, the most expensive gift that there ever was, the blood of Jesus. So I thank you, Father, right now for that precious blood that has washed us, cleansed us, purified us. The blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, I pray as we leave here this morning, I pray that any areas that we have struggled in, and all of us have, Lord, any areas that we've struggled in, in this area, I pray that you would lift the veil of our understanding. Help us to understand and comprehend how much you love us and the righteousness that we have as a gift. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Let us see how you see us. Not as man sees us, but how you see us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. He'll speak to you right there in your chair, right there in your seat. He'll talk to you. He'll speak to you. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. our hands and just thank him this morning in this place. Just as a sign of surrender to him, to the Lord. Father, we surrender to you. We love you, Father. We worship you right now here in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Praise you, Father. Worship you, Worship you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you so much, Lord.